Now, today we have a special guest, and we've met her several years ago, Kieran Martin and Freddie Martin. And when we started hearing about the work in New Delhi in the slums. And we've taken, I think, five different teams over the years to see firsthand the transformation and wonderful things that are happening in New Delhi. And there's also another aspect to this connection. It's really inspiring to see change, but what's really impacting is to find someone who's transforming the lives in New Delhi with a similar approach and philosophy and thoughts about what it means to follow God that we have here in New York City. I would have never thought I would have seen such a parallel between what's happening in Asha slums in New Delhi and our values and pursuits here in New York City. It's really fascinating. So... Today, I would like to introduce you to Kieran Martin. She'll be speaking, and we have, I think, a picture of Kieran's intro is what it's called, where of the teams that we've taken, some times that we've spent, and this lovely woman in the picture here, Kieran Martin, is now going to share with us. So please join me in welcoming Kieran. really wonderful to be back and I must say that I have missed being here and uh, and I also uh, hope that there will be a team that will come out soon because we have always looked forward year on year to the river teams and it's been so exciting to have this partnership uh, and as I take you through a few pictures I will uh, there may be some of you who've never heard about Asha uh, and there are others who of course are familiar some of you have been uh, and so I'm hoping to be able to give you a glimpse of Asha uh, and also give you a little update on this particular community, which is called Jeevan Nagar, uh, which is located in the, in the southern part of the city. And that is the particular community where uh, the river teams have been coming year on year for the past some years. And it's been remarkable. The transformation, oh my goodness. And when you see some of these pictures, you're going to go like, are these the same kids that we used to play with and sing music with? Okay, so so this is the picture of Delhi. So I just wanted to uh, once again remind everybody that, uh, uh, you know, the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals have identified out of the 17 goals that they have, goal number 11 addresses sustainable cities and sustainable communities because they have realized that urban poverty is such a huge problem globally that it urgently needs to be addressed. And therefore, the UN has been able to uh, bring together a number of countries to sign to to, to, uh, the development of sustainable uh, cities and communities in their countries. Now, we come down to India. Uh, Well, in the world, we have one billion people living in urban poverty, which is the same as living in slums or in shanty colonies, whatever you want to call it. And uh, in India, we have 120 million of them. So that's like a huge proportion of the people in the world. And Asha is looking after approximately 1 million slum residents in the capital of India, Delhi. 
Now, this is a picture of the city of Delhi. It's a very prosperous city. Uh, it's actually the city with the highest per capita income uh, in our country. So you can imagine uh, the kind of wealth that is there in Delhi. I know a lot of people ask about why people in India don't donate. Now, that's a whole different conversation which we can have another time if you want. But uh, this, uh, this uh, picture is just a sober reminder of... Uh, uh, the kind of uh, uh, circumstances in which the urban poor of our city live. It's a huge city. There's 16 million people living in it, of which about four to four and a half million people live in these kinds of shanty colonies that are just made of discarded material. There is no water. There is no sanitation. Uh, the houses are about 40 to 50 square feet in size. And uh, there's no place, separate place for kitchen uh, cooking. There's no separate bathroom. And uh, you can even see the smoke rising from the... A uh, little bit of cooking that this woman is doing in her lane, probably outside her house. And uh, being a pediatrician, I, uh, I, I was a follower. I decided to follow Jesus when I was about uh, 17 years of age. And I felt that I wanted to be good news. I wanted to be uh, bringing in this wonderful news of uh, the love of Jesus and his desire that these people don't live in poverty any longer. Uh, I had this, uh, this, this idea. And so I walked into a slum way back in the year 88. So it's now been 31 years that I've been working in the slums. And I started seeing patients from a little slum hut uh, over here, like you see over here in this picture. And that, I wanted to show you a picture of Prerna because actually Prerna was the one who brought me to this church. Uh, she lived in New York and I know that she brought along, uh, I think it was John and Sarah uh, who visited uh, Asha along with Prerna. Back, uh, I don't know, how many years ago was that? Six to seven years ago. Imagine that. I mean, like, I am here because of this relationship. And it was amazing because I never thought that this is how God would work in such mysterious and amazing and joyful and exciting ways. And so we found, so this is Prerna in my arms. And uh, this was when I started my work. And uh, this man over there is a member of parliament. And uh, our Indian politicians and our slum mafia, it was such a complicated uh, system of uh, exploitation. Uh, uh, you know, the structures and systems in the slums were so complex. And I absolutely had no idea. And I wanted to be a nonviolent person. I know that Jesus said when somebody slaps you on one cheek, you should turn him the other. And uh, I, I went in thinking that with, no matter how powerful the mafia is, no matter how ruthless they are, no matter how difficult the politicians are, I am going to try and reach out to them with a non-violent and a peacemaking approach. And I'm going to try and befriend them. Well, there were some times when I had success, but there were times when it did not work at that time. And I knew that I had to keep persisting and persevering in the same way as Jesus did. So this particular member of parliament, he was at the edge of the slum and he refused to come inside. I had to literally plead with him, please come and see, you will not be able to even walk because there is excrement everywhere. It's a challenge to even come to my clinic. So anyhow, I convinced him and this is me thanking him for his visit because I managed to convince him. And then this is Prerna in my arms and I used to take her with me back then everywhere. Now I wanted to bring up this picture because it's just such a gorgeous testament to the relationship that we have with our children but also with the river. Uh, that's Prerna and uh, you know she got married at the end of uh, March of this year and uh, that's uh, the, the family and uh, I just cannot tell you how joyful it was for us to have John and Sarah 
fly out from the river to be the officiants for her wedding. Isn't that something fantastic? Absolutely. We should give them a huge round of applause and the, we should give the relationship a huge round of applause because it doesn't happen every day that two Americans fly out, uh, you know, to do an Indian wedding in an Indian setting. And it was such a wonderful uh, thing to have them both. So from the bottom of our hearts, Freddie and I would like to thank you, John and Sarah, for having made that occasion so special and also to the church for having released them to come and be with us. Okay, so this is the slum lord that I was just talking about, right? It's written all over him, the way he's pointing his finger and going like, you better listen to me. And, you know, uh, so basically in slums, you have a very feudal society and you have an extremely patriarchal society and uh, women do not have a voice in our communities. And so what I have done is work uh, in the area of women's empowerment and I have been able to help Thousands of women come together, form community groups and be able to articulate in a non-violent and a peacemaking manner, uh, uh, but, in a, it, and, but in insisting upon the truth and insisting upon their rights and insisting upon what is correct and right for them to be able to change uh, life in their communities. Now, have a look at this picture on the, uh, on the left, uh, on, the, on the right, top right, as you face it, and you see them standing with this, uh, the, the head of the police station in, uh, in, uh, in the area. Uh, normally, if you walk into a slum, you, it's a very common sight. When I was younger, I would see the sight of uh, uh, the beat constable, we call them. You know, the, the police who are uh, walking around uh, uh, in charge of a particular area. And they were so shameless. I was shocked. They used to put their hands into people's pockets and take the money and walk away. They used to go into someone's home and go like, where's your money? And that poor woman, out of being so petrified, she would show him the money lying under her mattress or maybe lying in some corner of her small broken cupboard. And he would just uh, shamelessly open the door and he would just take the money and just walk away. You know, that was the level of fear uh, of the police. And you see these women, how happy they look with the policeman. Because you know why they are there? Because they have their own charity. Asha has helped these women's groups in different slums to form their own associations and charities with their own charter and their own goals. And you find that they have come here to ask him for a donation. <laughs> what a way! 360 degree turn, right? Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> So they are here and they get donations from the police, they get donations from the sanitary inspector, they get donations from the local MLA, which is our local politician, the town councillor. So they are truly uh, uh, the wonderful agents of change uh, in, in their communities. And they have been able to bring about so much transformation. Look at this dirty toilet. This is no way human beings should be living, right? And here you see them being able to have petitioned the government and uh, got clean toilets, they got clean water. In fact, in Jivannagar, I don't know if you're aware, but there's a brand new toilet block as a result of the work of all the wonderful women, some of whom you know. You know Praveen and you know, you know some of the other women, Sunita and all that. So all of these women have been able to get the councillor and get the local legislator to spend money which they should have been spending anyway. But because they did not, because nobody really pressurized them or nobody advocated for their rights. And so, you know, but the thing is that unless and until there's economic activity, unless and until there's enough liquidity in the system, how are you going to educate your children? How are you going to be able to have access to good quality health care? And I found that these slum residents were all unbankable. You, we call them in India 
financially excluded as in they were completely excluded from the financial systems and structures that operated in our country so they had no access to even they could not even walk into a bank so back in 2008 i felt that this is not right this is not fair i mean why can't a slum dweller walk into a bank what is the reason so when i i mean it was like they said what bank we don't understand banks we only keep our money in you know some temporary place or sometimes they they have loan sharks when they desperately need money for their uh, uh, for a wedding or some tragedy in the family or some reason like that and then they get charged crazy amounts of interest which is ridiculous and so i went like why should they this is like we are talking about one third of the city's population and there are hundreds of banks everywhere and they don't know how to even walk into one and so it's a long story if you want to know more about microfinance you can talk to me anytime but suffice to say that god is good right and he is a god who is no respecter of persons and he is a god for whom every single individual has the same exact worth and therefore why cannot a slum dweller walk into a bank and therefore i involved the uh, finance minister who is equal to your treasury secretary uh, at that time and uh, we were able to have hundreds and hundreds of bank accounts open and hundreds and hundreds of uh, slum dwellers for the first time in india got loans without any collaterals and there was so much economic activity it's so wonderful to see you walk in and you go here's a tailor here's somebody opening up a grocery store here's another person making wallets and here's another person trying to improve their home here's another person saying an uh, electrician saying why should i go on a bicycle i can do much more and earn much more if i go on a motorcycle you know so getting money to buy that so it was wonderful to see that Okay so this was exactly what i used to see when i would walk into that first slum every single day i used to see little kids rummaging about in garbage they were basically looking for anything that they could recycle and what did they get for it like just a few cents not even a few cents like if you try to translate it a rupee the rupees into cents is probably not translatable because there's one one dollar you have to spend 75 rupees to buy a dollar and so what would they earn nothing but this is what they would do just bring in whatever money they could and i saw them doing every kind of thing imaginable one day i was walking in the priya market i think some of you know the priya market where you have lots of nice shops and this little kid comes up to me ma'am how are you and i realized he's from one of the slums and he's shining shoes out there on the uh, pavement for whoever you know just to earn a little bit of money not in a fancy way where you have a nice stand where you can the person can sit no you just you just stand there on the floor and they shine your shoes you know for for just a small amount of money i used to go like this i mean every child jesus wanted to bring good news and help every single child to flourish to the fullest of their potential and why should a slum child not flourish why should a slum child have to do this and i used to think that this is not the gospel the gospel is absolutely the exact opposite of what i'm seeing over here before i show you the next picture i just want to also throw some light on the plight of girls when i started working uh, and i started seeing patients in the uh, slums that i used to go to and when there were these severely malnourished girls there were of course boys also but a lot more girls were severely malnourished and i used to see female feticide and infanticide once i was in a uh, in a seeing i had a clinic by then and it was 1989 i think i was i was seeing patients from the top of a public toilet block 
with a wonderful smell, you know, coming up while I was seeing the fish. I used to go sometimes, God, what am I doing here? You know, <laughs> but but uh, it was just the love of God for these people that constrained me and my strong desire to see justice in their lives that constrained me. And so I, I, I continued. And this, they came running to me and said, ma'am, please come and see this midwife. She is actually uh, strangulating the female baby with the cord itself. By the time I reached there, the baby was dead already, you know, because the woman already had three girls and she didn't want the fourth girl. So this is just an example to show you the terrible uh, uh, devaluation uh, and uh, diminishing of uh, of young girls, you know, whom God loves so much. And I was going like, this is, this is, what kind of nonsense is this going on in front of my eyes and then you know what they did by the time I reached of course they have they had they were digging behind the hut to bury the girl right there and just so you know in Delhi the sex ratio is 866 girls to a thousand boys so you can imagine what's happening to the to all the others and in Punjab which is another state which is even worse it's about 700 girls to a thousand boys so this is a very real problem of gender inequality for a whole variety of reasons uh, you know that we have in India but look at the good news isn't that in a wonderful photograph of all these girls going to school and uh, I'm so happy to tell you that every Asha boy and every Asha girl goes to school, barring a few scattered ones here and there for some reason. For the most part, they all go. And the best news ever is that the partnership with Jeevan Nagar, where you have been praying for Jeevan Nagar, you have been visiting Jeevan Nagar, you have been coming there with so much love, you are ushering in the true spirit of Christ uh, with all the Christian values. You come in and you uh, spend time with the, the girls over there. And I'm so happy to tell you that every Jeevan Nagar girl goes to some nice public school or the other in the neighborhood. And that is all because of the partnership. Isn't that a cool picture? So, you know, don't please ever underestimate the fact that you only came for a week. Please don't ever underestimate that. I say this wherever I go because you cannot imagine how much you leave behind, how much you deposit when you're there for that short period of time because anyway, nobody ever goes into the slums. No middle class Indian ever goes into the slums. And for you to come there and spend time with there and usher in the spirit of Christ, it's one of the most beautiful experiences that the children could ever have in all of their lives. You know, this boy uh, in... Uh, can you recognize Karan, uh, John? He's actually, uh, you know, looking towards you. I can't see this picture very clearly, but I believe that the, the boy in the pink, I think, is Karan. Do you recognize him? I, I just wanted to show you the picture because I'm going to show you what Karan is doing now in the next couple of photos. And Karan told me that I have never forgotten the day when John and Sarah firstly said some things to me. They got deep, so deeply inside my DNA and they stayed with me forever. And then you hear what happened to Karan, you'll know what I mean. But that's Karan sitting there and listening to John and that's Sarah and of course, you know, all the others. How wonderful. I hope that you will come out again soon because what you deposit and what you leave with these kids is going to be a legacy for them forever, forever. So in 2009, I said to myself, 
if these kids can get a if the young people can, if if the women and all the others can get loans if i can uh, make sure that every child has affordable health care if i can make sure that everyone has clean water and sanitation if i can make sure that everyone has access to finance why can't a slum child go to university what is the reason i my children have gone to university so many of your children have gone to university every single middle class indian child goes to university it's unthinkable that they would not so look at that huge divide between the rest of india and children living in the slums and in the poor rural areas of our country university what's university they've never heard of the word university they're going like what is it and i had to send them along with my team to go and look at this the gates and say look this is the gate these are the buildings that is the library these are the classrooms this is where people play games these are your faculty i mean like they had no clue can you imagine having no idea because they came from intergenerational poverty we are talking about many many generations of poverty with no opportunity for the cycle to be broken and today Isn't it fantastic that we have 2800 slum children at Delhi University? Fantastic, right? We are together making history. It's never happened before, but it's about these 2800 but it's also about our huge message that God wants every single child to flourish. He doesn't want them to be left behind. he has equal love and care for us all and the big message for the poor children of the world is that you you can reach the greatest of heights as long as you have people there to support you as long as you have a circle of influence children need a circle of influence they need a circle of influence of people around them who are always encouraging them always motivating them always inspiring them to reach their highest potential i wanted to tell you about karan because that's the boy who you saw in the uh, previous picture excuse me i actually need a piece of paper from my bag so i'm just going to go get it i didn't want to miss out salient points of his story which he himself wrote he said that uh, he's 18 and he belongs to a very poor family his father is a daily wage laborer which means that he goes to construction sites and and picks up bricks and picks up cement and over there it's not mechanized the way it is in this country and karan uh, he came to my house and he was telling me ma'am i feel so bad because every day my father first of all comes back extremely tired and after that i see his hands you know they are so hard there are callosities everywhere just because of the hard work that this man does and they are bruised and they are scarred everywhere and uh, karan told me that he studies at a uh, he takes a plastic chair from his house and he goes and sits under a street lamp and studies because there's no light in his house so that's the way he has been studying all of his life uh, he told me also that his father used to give him 2 rupees every day 2 rupees i don't know how much is that in sense charles you are good mathematicians <laughs> a penny right three pennies see i knew <laughs> three pennies every day to go buy biscuits because he never used to take lunch and he used to always go hungry he never had breakfast in the morning He said that you know that you see the cooler. This is a room cooler. In India, it's very common to have these room coolers to cool your room. It's just a very simple principle. There's a uh, there's some uh, uh, hay, uh, something similar to straw on the walls, and there's a pump, and you just pump up the water, uh, and then you, the air cools. The cool air comes out. So this is like a very cheap device, and a lot of people have it. 
And uh, Karan told me that once, just by mistake, he was so angry with himself for making that mistake. He kept his uh, school bag near the cooler and that was the exact spot where the house would leak uh, during the rain. So when it rained that night, he woke up in the morning, everything was drenched. His bag was drenched, his books were drenched. This is so much difficulty, he bought his books and there was nothing left there at all in terms of his books. And he said how angry he was that he kept his school bag there and he didn't think of the, keeping it somewhere else. He talked, talks about how when he met Asha, everything began to change in his life because he found a safe place to study. You've seen Jivanagar, what a colorful and beautiful and bright place it is. And that's where he began to come. And then he says to me, ma'am, you know what? I love the value of gratitude. It's my most favorite value because I feel so happy when I express gratitude to others for what they have done for me. And this is something which is so amazing to hear from a child who has been hungry all his life. When he got a chance to learn computers at Asha, can you imagine he started designing, uh, designing websites using HTML, CSS and JavaScript. Imagine. On his own, he just learned because he got the chance to pick up that mouse and start using that computer. And then, you know, there's something beautiful he told me. Uh, we have what we call a pay it forward program. Now, I don't know if you, uh, Mandy or you, uh, Melinda, one of you remembers this girl, Neha. Do you remember Neha? She was such a beautiful girl and you had influenced Neha through your team visits and all that. And Neha actually brought Karan to Asha. So you see, it's all about being a good Asha ambassador and paying it forward so that this is not just an organization. This is a movement. This is a movement that is led by people from the front where the chain doesn't break, where one person affects another person's life and then the other and the other. And that's how the whole city and the whole world changes. And so Neha brought Karan along. And this is just a wonderful example of how they spent so many hours. Karan told me, you cannot imagine how many hours Neha has spent with me, teaching me, coaching me, helping me with my studies. And Neha was the one who took me and helped me get into university. And do you know how much Karan got? That's the reason why he came to me, because I was meeting with some of the young people who had done extremely well. He got 92%. 92% in his board exam, national level board exam. Isn't that wonderful? Should we give, a, give him a round of applause in, in his absence? He was given the best student of the school award by his principal. The principal probably doesn't know how he lives. Now he's a student of political science honors at Delhi University. He's just started. He's in his first year. I know he has a very bright future. And we are all together committed to helping Karan realize his dreams. This is Neha. You all, some of you know Neha really well. She uh, uh, is getting on really well. That's just a little update on Neha. And you can see that uh, she's at one of the top colleges of Delhi University called Gargi College. And there she is uh, doing her internship and uh, she's in her final year and she'll soon be out. And uh, she's one of the candidates that we are hoping to send to another country, believe it or not. I'm going to just tell you something about that in a minute. And you know Irshad, many of you uh, have met Irshad, right? Uh, Irshad is the son of a very poor tailor. 
And you know, when I say tailor, I don't mean like a tailor in a fancy shop or something. He just has a little shed outside and in, a, in one of the uh, lanes that run by the slum. And he just sits there with a very old sewing machine and he uh, keeps on stitching clothes for the people from the slums. How much can they pay him? Hardly anything. And uh, Rishad tells me that even if I had one rupee in my pocket when I went to school, that was for me like a lot of money. And so he gave, he gave me, he told me this very touching incident, you know, uh, Muslims celebrate Eid and for them Eid is a very big festival and they have, they buy new clothes every time at Eid. Do you know what Rishad's father bought him for Eid? He stitched him a school uniform. These are your new clothes for Eid. Ishad told me, no new clothes from the stores, no new shoes ever, no treats, no books to read, no games, no toys. That's how Ishad's childhood was. Twelve years he was old he was when he came. But the circle of influence around him was wonderful. People who loved him, people who mentored him, people who guided him, people who didn't judge him. There was no guilt-inducing thoughts that ever came into his mind. He could not get into university because he missed by a few marks, but somehow... After speaking to the principal and others, he was in. He spoke, uh, he says he dropped out. And here the whole, why I want to tell you this, that you know, sometimes people do drop out. People make mistakes. People go through these challenges. But I don't, the word failure does not exist in my dictionary. It's a challenge. It's not a failure. You dropped out. Never mind. You can get up and go back again. And he went back as a result of uh, uh, Sweeta and other people's interventions. He completed his uh, university education. He tells me that his professors used to give, lend, lend him their laptops because he didn't have a laptop of his own. But he did his internships at Tata Consultancy Services and a large investment bank called Macquarie. And today he, he worked in a few different places but decided that social work was his, his passion. And so then after all of these decisions... Finally, Irshad is now working as a program executive at ASHA. Isn't that wonderful? That's him in the ASHA uh, office, offices for those who've been. And that's him at the Australian High Commission doing his internship. And Chandan, everybody knows, I'm not going to go into the story in detail because... Uh, you know, we need to wind up, I think. But Chandan, uh, you have known him from the time he was quite young. And I have some wonderful news. I know that, uh, Charles, you uh, also uh, have been following a little bit of Chandan's life. And I know that Chandan has been like a brother to Clara, uh, who, when she came and uh, stayed with us for a month, uh, he, was, uh, he would look after her, make sure that there was no uh, playing of any truant or, you know, any of the stuff with young girls, you know. So he, he protected her, he took care of her. And he's such a lovely boy. And can you believe this? He is at the moment doing a master's in pure maths in Imperial College London. Isn't that wonderful? Masters in pure maths. You see him at Australian National University because I sent him there to do a research scholarship for three months as a bridging program. But Imperial College, for those of you who may have heard, is one of the finest uh, universities in the world and uh, very well known for the subject that he is interested in doing. So let's all wish him all the very best, right? Because he's just started. <laughs> And so our kids, you know, I'm going like, they cannot just be working uh, the, in the same way as their parents because they have been 
not even second class. They have been third, fourth class citizens forever and ever. And so why can't they also do the same kind of work that our children do? Why can't they also work in the biggest of companies? Why can't they work in the biggest of diplomatic missions? And you see all our children, hardly any, can you even say that they work, they look like they are from the slums, they are working at the embassy of Denmark, Grand Thornton, PwC, New Zealand High Commission, just a few examples. through this because and uh, this is uh, uh, one of my favorite pictures this is all the slum women it's just a wonderful picture of communal harmony in a country where there's so many divisions based on caste and based on class and based on religion that being able to sit together cutting through across all those barriers and actually share your food without knowing that whether it was a sweeper who brought the food a sweeper is an untouchable. They are called Dalits. Nobody goes anywhere near them. If you if you go and you touch a sweeper, you will have to go through a lot of ceremonial uh, purification rites in order to be able to enter your house again. That is the level of untouchability they suffer. And here you see them eating along with the Brahmins and along with the Muslims and everybody. And that is the picture of the kingdom of God. Where each person... Isn't that wonderful? I call this picture the picture of the kingdom of God. So uh, that's just to give you an idea that we are all over the city. It's taken us 31 years, but we have a long way to go. The Asha ambassadors and the Asha team have decided that they are going to not, not stop till every single child in all the slums of the city is reached out to. And so we have a very big vision. But it's a vision that has been given to us by God. And so we are ex excited about it. And we think that we can achieve it. And therefore, uh, we hope that you will always uh, be able to stand with us uh, within this vision, be able to pray with us, be able to support us emotionally, uh, you know, in every possible manner and through the resources that you have been so generously giving us for which I am so grateful and so thankful for the resources that you have been uh, giving us. And uh, before I talk about this, uh, yeah, okay, I'll first talk about this and then I'll finish off. Uh, we have brought out this wonderful publication which is called Hope and Spice. Uh, it was brought out by two British volunteers and they felt that the voice of the women of the slums should be heard throughout the world through their recipes. Who cares about a woman cooking in a slum? Who cares about what she cooks? Who cares about what she eats? But through this book, the world is caring about what they cook and what they eat. And the book is a marvelous production. It is, uh, 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 it is interwoven with the lives of these women. So the beautiful stories as well. They make for amazing Christmas gifts. Uh, it's about it's $30 a piece, I'm told, because Asha USA has uh, 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 brought uh, this publication uh, about. And it is available. Where, Sarah? You... So I encourage you to buy this book. And uh, also, maybe you can give it as a Christmas present. I know that it's going to be up on Amazon. Uh, uh, and so you can also get it on uh, online. Uh, you know, it's going to be up on Amazon very shortly. Jeremiah 17, 7 and 8 is this beautiful verse which I dearly love. It says, Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in Him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never, never fails to bear fruit. You know, the Cambridge English Dictionary says to trust. 
You know what that word means? It means to believe that someone is good. Someone is honest. That person is safe. That person is reliable. That person will never cause harm. And that is an emotion that every child must experience. You ask me why these children have been successful. Yes, they have nice buildings. Yes, they have money being given. There, there are so many other factors. But trust is one of the most important factors. When the members of the Asha family are able to have these children trust them, then these children understand that love and loyalty are given freely. They are also given consistently under all conditions without any reservation because there is only one desire and that is to strive for their well-being. And when you affirm them, when you recognize their gifts, you appreciate them in a safe, in a loving environment where there is no room for judgmental or guilt-inducing or condemning thoughts or critical words because these words and thoughts lead to feeling of rejection. And this type of validation fosters tremendous trust, tremendous security. And you cannot believe what a profound effect it has on the lives of these children. And to all the children of the world, not just these children, your children, my children. And this brings about a vibrant expression of latent potential that is within them. Because what happens when the uh, trust is fostered, the children become so open. They become so enthusiastic because they are discovering who they are. And they are growing up to be responsible and caring adults themselves. They are learning what it feels like to be understood by another person. And therefore, they themselves are learning uh, respect and empathy for others. Thank you so much for this wonderful opportunity that you gave to me to stand here before you and share my story. And thank you, thank you, thank you for your generosity. Thank you.